In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Let's have a ball at Faneuil Hall, we love the Old Town team. Take the green line to the sicko sign, we love the Old Town team. Now we're here, we all will cheer, we love the Old Town team. Our chowders mean we like our beans, but we love the Old Town team. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of the Old Town Podcast, our Red Sox pod here at The Athletic. I'm Tim McMaster along with our Red Sox reporters, Jen McCaffrey and Chad Jennings this week. We do understand there's a lot more going on that's a lot more important and serious than baseball right now, but we also understand that if you clicked on this podcast, you're probably looking for some baseball content, some Red Sox content. So we will provide that for you. The Red Sox actually put out a statement today um, regarding the riots and, and George Floyd's death and all that. You can check that out on Twitter. Um, but we're going to move on with baseball content for this episode of the podcast. Um, we're going to get to the latest on the negotiations between Major League Baseball and the players. We'll talk about the Red Sox, how they're handling their business as far as paying their employees. And we'll get into the draft, which is Coming up quickly, next week is the shortened version of the Major League Baseball draft. Um, guys, let's get into these negotiations first. Um, they don't seem to be heading in the right direction, and we definitely seem to be running out of time. But the latest, um, after the players requested an 114-game season with their prorated salaries to try to get more money, that included some other stuff, $100 million in possible deferrals if the postseason was canceled, $100 million in advance once training camp started. Anyway, the owners have now come back and said, okay, 50 games. If you want your prorated salary, we can afford 50 games, which is not going to get us any closer to having baseball. But Chad, you had a good point that it's it's the, the owners saying, okay, you want to play this game? Here we go. Yeah. I mean, we're at a point of just negotiation here, right? I mean, that's all these. It is. <laughs> these are two sides fighting over effectively their CBA, right? I mean, that, that's what all of this is building toward. This is not strictly a fight about having a season in 2020 it is a it is a fight about all of these bigger things to come and so in that con in that respect when we see it now from the outside and see oh you know they're coming now what that 50 game season which we you know we obviously want to see as much baseball as we can right but so from from the outside looking in 50 games and the way that the negotiations going back and forth it kind of makes no sense and you want to say like gosh like just figure this out but from if if this is just two sides of a negotiation then you can understand why the owners are are approaching it the way they are and why the players are approaching it the way they are. You know, the players say they're not they don't want to cut their salaries anymore and they want them prorated, then 
yeah, it makes sense for the owners to come back and say, fine, you want prorated, then we'll only play 50 games and we'll prorate your salaries to that and you'll make even less than you would have if you'd go with the proposal we initially wanted. It, it's it's just a negotiation and it's a, you know, it's 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 finance and economics and it's players' careers and it's owners' businesses and, and it's just a, uh, this is not the pretty side of it and it's kind of an ugly time or I guess it's not not it, it's a it's a bad time to have these sort of economic arguments, right? It just makes you not feel very good about it. It's kind of a reminder that that baseball is not strictly a, a game of passion that we all care about. It is a business, and and these are just the two sides of the business um, in a full negotiation that really goes beyond or is about issues well beyond 2020. I mean, it just feels like a typical CBA negotiation at this point, right, Jen? It's that normal stuff. All the, you know, they've basically taken out of this thing what's going on in this country, COVID-19, all of that. And it's just the typical MLB versus the Players Association not being able to come to an agreement. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, it, it feels almost more tense than than a normal negotiation. Just I think because of everything that's going on in the world, and the fact that this feels ridiculous that they're just going back and forth over, over you know millionaires and billionaires fighting here. And I think that's what the most the most frustrating part is uh, for a lot of people. And I mean, yeah, they they might get started playing, and they theoretically would have the whole world being able to watch but I do wonder I think Jason Stark had a piece last week about how how many fans are they losing over all this and like how many people are actually gonna you know the diehard fans are gonna tune in obviously and um but but yeah this is just getting I think people are just getting so fed up with this and just you know uh, the back and forth and um just the the semantics of of how they're trying to play this out and it's I think it's pretty obviously and needless to say pretty frustrating But it just takes so long and there's a clock ticking here. People have said, you know, if it's not by the end of this week or very early next week, then you really question if you can have a a season at all because of or at least on the schedule that they want to do. And yet it's it's days of tweets and complaining to the media, Chad, before anything actual official between either side and that it seems to be the pattern we've now fallen into and and I'm not gonna I mean I tend to usually side with the players on these things but I'm not gonna hand you know these are both guilty parties at this point because the players can argue all they want about the owners working this through the media but they're doing the same exact thing back the other way Um, and it's just it's whining and complaining about what happened instead of just and I wonder if you know they're doing this through zoom obviously I wonder if it would be a little better if they could just kind of put themselves in a room and lock a door and have to work through this as opposed to, all right, we're going to meet on a Zoom call and talk about this. I mean, that certainly can't be helping things, but but it's just this this hostility that it felt like maybe we were starting to get away from over the last 25 years. This is as bad as ever. You know, I actually don't think it would have helped to put them all in the same room because I, I don't think this is about a... a, a lack of communication or anything i think it is just about a a lack of trust between the two sides i mean they've you know we can already see i mean they're just starting to to dig in their heels for for what comes next so no i mean i i think it is both sides sort of know what's at stake and 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 there i i expect this to be a fight and and i think there was maybe some hope that it wouldn't be as much of a battle but i i think this just trying to play this one season is giving us a pretty a pretty kind of a preview of uh 
of, of what's to come and a, and a pretty good sense of of just how much these two sides disagree and really want to win when it comes to this next negotiation for the next CBA. So it, it, the communication side of it, and they, they kind of, I think both sides kind of know what's on the table and a little bit of what the other side wants. It's just, they're going to fight for this because they're, they've got a bigger fight coming and this is sort of the opening salvo, you know, this is where it's going to begin. And then, uh, and then I guess the real, the big battle uh, comes next when they try to figure out what the full CBA is going to be. And I think like it kind of goes to the the greater point that they just don't seem to care about that. Like if they really did care, they would have figured it out by now. And obviously what they care about is the money and the bottom line. And, you know, the players are fighting for their money, which, you know, it's their prerogative and the owners are doing the same thing. But at some point, if you were to look at the greater good of the millions and billions being tossed around here, uh, it just almost seems as if they don't care um, about the game itself or about it coming back or at least as much as they should because they could have they could have found something to to find they could have been able to find a, a common ground at this point after these weeks and weeks and weeks I was talking to my parents this weekend and my mom asked me why do all the other sports seem to have this all figured out and baseball just can't get their head around how to how to figure out this money stuff and get back to playing the other sports are just worried about health and the where to play and whether to do it in a bubble and all that stuff but baseball it's just money 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 and I tried to get into you know there's no salary cap and so it's not as easy and there's all this hostility over the years and and I'm just babbling on and on and on and I finished and it was like dead silence from the other line (laughs) it just that's all true right I mean that is a big part of it it's harder to do when there's no salary cap to figure out what this is but at the end of the day it just shouldn't matter right well I mean part of it is that in a lot of the other sports the owners kind of already won a lot of the big fights you know I mean that it's the non-guaranteed contracts and things like that and salary cap and whatever else I mean the the players union in baseball is really strong and is is fighting to to keep these things, you know, keep the game healthier for, for the players, and 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 so that becomes so that's where I think it's that's one of the big differences is the, the players in in baseball still have sort of a fight on their hands, whereas in the other leagues I feel like that fight um, is maybe a little more lost already. Here's a question. Um, so Tony Clark, obviously the last I feel like the last few years has um, gotten been piled on a little bit for not being as strong with that union as you remember back to the Donald fear days when it was really strong and he used to come out and and as a with the legal background say all the right things and stand up to to the owners and and it seems like the owners have won a lot more battles recently in these negotiations Jen do you think that is part of this is is Tony Clark like you know what I need to make a stand at some point because maybe I'm maybe I'm losing a little bit of the respect of this union and I need to to be the stronger guy here. Yeah, I'm sure that definitely, uh, you know, is a is a part of it. I think it's just uh, you're getting they're getting wrapped up in in this fight and it it, in losing people. um, Like you said, like the, the the people kind of on the periphery that, you know, follow the sport, maybe tangentially, but, you know, aren't. Uh, super understanding all the nuances of, of the negotiations and why they are the way they are. And I think, you know, that that's kind of why uh, the frustration has 
become so so great with with baseball right now and you're trying to fight for the future of the sport but there might not be much of a future if you know this continues and people get so fed up uh you know with with what's happening i mean you're fighting you know they're going to be going through cba negotiations in you know december 2021 and you know what's that even going to look like and um you know what's the sport going to look like and if they're don't have the fans, they're not going to have the money and none of this is going to matter. So it, it just, I don't know, there needs to be a little bit more foresight um, of what's really important here. Um, and I know you don't want to give up leverage, but again, at the same time, you know, leverage for what, you know, at some point right. there's, 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 you know, there's not much more to fight for at this point, it feels like. Yeah. And Jason Stark in the story you mentioned, he brings up the point that, you know, people don't remember that in 1994 when baseball canceled the World Series and it was the last work stoppage and all that and and eventually came back. But he makes the point that it never really did come back because in 1994, baseball was still number one in a lot of ways, still America's pastime. And now it's number three. I mean, it's not even that's not even up for debate. Um, The NBA and the NFL far above baseball. and it, it's a clear number three. And so it didn't recover. And now what happens if if there's no season here and those other sports come back? It's, it's hard to imagine it taking another step back, plus all the other things that have happened with the draft and everything. It just seems like uh, baseball can't get out of its own way. And if you're an owner, I mean, Chad, do you think they don't realize that? I mean, is it possible that they don't see the bigger picture that this is going to, yes, your your team is currently worth, whatever billion dollars but this isn't going to help that number long term well or, or i mean i i maybe also they disagree you know i i don't know i mean i don't know what yeah. their internal metrics are looking at but they're better they are better businessmen yeah than me. so that's I so i mean as much as i that. completely agree with jason's premise of that and i thought that was his story was great about that that baseball is did not come back to what it used to be it is it is it went from the sport in america to kind of you know one of the other sports in America. Yeah, but yeah. but it's also true that baseball makes a lot of money. And and so from a pure business standpoint, you know, maybe baseball has made a calculated decision that it doesn't need to be that. It doesn't need to be the feel good sport. It as long as, you know, you have these other things in place, maybe they feel like there is a viable and a stronger business model to be had by by taking a hard line on some of these things. And as frustrating and disappointing as that may be, um I, I I don't know for sure if it's that owners don't realize that they're losing out on this or if it's that owners either disagree with the premise or feel that it's not that that is not their priority. And I guess the one last thing that I'll mention on this before we move on is that the one of the things that's really standing in the way here is that the owners say the more games they play, the more money they'll lose. And the players disagree with that. Um, Jen, do you think there's a way to reach an agreement without them actually proving that point? I mean, I guess we're going to have to find out, you know, (laughs) I I mean, the only way, yeah, the only way we'll know is if, if they come to some sort of agreement, if one side relents or if they, you know, both kind of find some concessions that they can agree on. Um, I don't, it just doesn't, it feels way far, a lot farther apart than it did a few weeks ago. Um, and I don't know if that's just because we're getting more, you know, news a little bit more daily um, and, and things are opening up a little bit more. So there's more of a possibility for things to come back. But uh, I don't know. Um, it's just, yeah, I think 
I think people are just fed up with this regardless. And, and I guess we'll just have to continue waiting like we have been waiting for the past three months to see how things are going to uh, unfold. Yeah, I do think that if they figure it out in a week, most of this stuff we've had to hear about the last two weeks, people will probably kind of move past and, and kind of forget as, okay, they were negotiating, whatever, it got ugly. Um, but then if you don't have baseball, it's a completely different story. The Last Dance documentary has brought up the ongoing debate that no one will ever win. Is Michael Jordan the GOAT? Is LeBron the GOAT? One thing we do know for sure is Manscaped is the GOAT for men's grooming. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced while designing your own triangle offense down under. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. All right, so we talked about the business of the game. There's also the business of each of these individual franchises, and they all have different ways that they're trying to deal with the money lost because of the shutdown of sports. Um, some have handled it better in the public eye than others. Um, the Red Sox have actually, I think, overall, if you had to say how are they doing, um, it's okay. But, I mean, the bottom of the ballot, you would say, is the Oakland Athletics, who announced that as of the end of May, they're no longer playing their, paying their minor league players their $400 weekly stipend. And those players also, by the way, aren't allowed to go sign anywhere else. Um, that's probably the, the bottom tier. And then the Red Sox have said that they will pay their minor leaguers that stipend $400 through August at least. So that's at least, right, at this point, Chad? Well, I mean, yeah, but also, I mean, remember that August— Assuming that's the end August of August is season. the end of the minor league season. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that they—I don't know. I mean, at that point, to go beyond that, I think, starts to get a little bit more tricky. I mean, at that point, I feel like you've, you've paid them sort of that stipend that you were expecting to pay them through the year. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, that's as far as they have committed. Um, and then, you know, look, it gets, it, I, I never know. I always feel like it's, these things are so hard to judge from the outside. You know, they, they make that decision in, in terms of the, uh, the, what they're going to do with their minor league players. But then at the same time, what was it last week announced the pay cuts to, to their own staff and, you know, you have to know that's not going to go over well, especially with the draft coming up. That's a kind of a tough pill to swallow, right? You've been putting all this effort into preparing for the draft, putting all this work into these players, and then right before the draft itself, you find out everybody's taken a pretty substantial pay cut. That's a that's that's tough news to hear. Yeah, and the players, um, as far as that four hundred dollars stipend goes, the Red Sox will pay them. Um, to me, once the Brewers and Royals came out and said that they were going to pay their players, there really there was no other excuse for other teams because you're talking small market teams that were going to do it. But then the Nationals came out and said they were going to pay three hundred dollars a week, which quickly they reversed, which almost makes it look worse. Um, when the public outcry was how cheap they were, basically, they actually changed that and they're going to do the $400. But back to the, the actual staff of the team, um, it, to me, it seems like it's not necessarily that there were cuts, but how the cuts went down. Um, so players or 
employees making under $50,000 will continue to make the $50,000. $50,000 to $100,000, 20% pay cut. This is the one that stood out to me though. $100,000 to $500,000 is a 25% pay cut. So you're talking about somebody making 100 grand and somebody making 500 grand in the same situation there. So 100 grand, that suddenly that person's making 75 grand, which let's be honest, Boston's not a cheap city to live in. That may be the difference between being able to, you know, afford daycare or being able to afford certain things in your life. Whereas if you're going from 500,000 to 400,000, you're probably still living a pretty similar life to what you already were. That just seems like a really big amount of gap in money to have the same percentage cut. And then finally, uh, half a million dollars and up was a 30% cut. Um, in your mind, from what, you know, just speaking to people, Jen, is, is that kind of the idea that what the problem was? Not necessarily that there were cuts. Companies all over this country are having cuts. The Red Sox didn't do furloughs, which a lot of places and some teams have done but that the groupings, the tiers of these cuts just seem to be kind of weird. I don't have another word for it other than like you're, you're comparing, um, you know, groupings of money that just aren't the same. Yeah. And I, th- I think it kind of, that kind of is emblematic of like this whole, uh, this whole thing we've been talking about is that these millionaires don't understand like what middle class is and right. what it means for, you know, where middle class people talking about these salaries and like someone that's making $500,000 a year doesn't un- doesn't have many worries financially in the world. I mean, by and large. And so when it, it's just funny that they would think that that that's a solution and that a group of people that could come come to a decision uh, about this and be like, yep, this this looks fine. Like a hundred to a five hundred thousand. Like that's that's you know, that's a this is a good pay cut for that amount. Not realizing like clearly the people making these decisions are the people making way more money than that and have no idea, you know, what a day to day kind of middle class person uh, has to has to manage financially in the middle of all this. So it just kind of speaks to even just the fight between the owners and the players of like, they just don't have a concept of, of the, the, the back and forth money of all this and how it all matters because they're, they're so their their eyes are so inflated by the money that they have. They don't, they don't kind of see how this is affecting all the businesses around the, around the sport and all the people that kind of benefit from having baseball up the restaurants and the vendors and all that kind of stuff. And it's just about their own, their own, you know, millions and billions of dollars that they're worried about. And I think that's kind of where the problem lies in all this. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about there was an office somewhere, right? There was a, there was a meeting. Well, it was, I guess it wasn't an office. It was a zoom call at some point and somebody put this up on the screen and no one thought to say, hey, 75000 for for 100000 is a lot compared to four hundred to 500000 500, Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really does. It blows my mind. You think about the team, $3.3 billion is the, what the club is valued at. John Henry is valued at $2.6 billion, uh, according to Forbes. I mean, there's just these massive amounts of money. And the thing, Chad, that I always come back to is if we get back to playing baseball and in 2021 there's baseball, those ownerships, those groups are going to go back right to having all that money, whereas these minor leaguers, for one thing, but also these other employees, that's money they're never going to really get back, and it's more important money that they're never going to get back. And a lot of these minor league players, and I'm, I'm not saying the Red Sox since they are paying the stipend, but for these other teams that aren't necessarily... These players are going to have to end their careers because of this. 
um, and the owners and the teams in two years, it's, yeah, there was a hit that they took, but things are going to go on. Yeah, things are going to go on and it's for them, and, and, but it's, it is going to be different going forward. I mean, I, I think that everything that's happening right now is, is we're going to come out on the other side of this whenever it is. And I, and I do believe baseball is going to be fundamentally different. I mean, player development is going to be different. I, I don't, I think we're gearing up toward a, you know, not a five round draft, but you could be gearing up toward a much shorter draft in the in the near future. Fewer minor league teams. Um, you know, who knows how owners are going to react? You know, this off season. You know, when it comes to if you're trying to sign free agents, I, I just think that we're we're heading for a massive change. And you're right that that some of those changes are going to more drastically affect um, people, you know, farther down the line um, in terms of what they're making and the role they're playing and all this. They're they're gonna they're gonna be affected by it much more so than uh, people at the top. All right, you mentioned player development, so let's talk about the draft. Uh, Jen, you have a story out on the Athletic today um, that goes into um, what's a very different draft in a lot of different ways, including the guy that's running it for the Boston Red Sox, Paul Taboni. It's his first time doing this, and what? What a situation. Instead of, I guess in a lot of ways, it'll be easier. Um, instead of a 40-round draft and all that that entails and figuring out all those bonuses over the first 10 rounds and everything like that, it's just five rounds, and the Red Sox don't even have a second-round pick. So it's four picks in the draft, and then what's going to be a free-for-all, what, which we'll get into as well. But, um, you know, you, you guys got a chance to talk to the team about this a little bit yesterday. Where do they feel like they're? They feel like they're in a good spot, Jen. I know they're not going to admit to not being in a good shot, spot, but but what were the challenges that this team kind of faced getting ready for this draft? Yeah, you know, I think, and he kind of <laughs> was realistic about it. You know, nobody really knows uh, how you know how this is going to go, and they're preparing sort of as best as they can. Um, you know, he was Taboni was uh, Mike Records' assistant for for the past three years, so it's not you know he's he's. Uh, new in terms of being the the, the main voice um, that's leading everything but he's definitely obviously been around for the past several several years kind of uh, right in conjunction and in, in helping lead these things but yeah this is uh, uncharted waters for everybody and I guess the one you know solace they're taking is that pretty much everybody is in the same boat here obviously the Red Sox have one fewer pick than most teams the Astros obviously have lost a pick as well uh, but uh, but yeah it's it's definitely going to be different he talked about um just you know they have their strategy and they think you know they they have a solid foundation of they think they know what they're going to be doing but at the same time you know they're predicting what other teams are going to be doing um and and that might shift how they have to change last minute so there's a lot of different i think um there's a lot of different kind of scenarios that they're preparing for um you know whether uh like any draft, I guess you can kind of compare uh, compare it to if you think the teams ahead of you are going to go one way and you kind of have to shift uh, to, to your second or third choice type thing. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's going to be different. And I think they're just trying to he basically said they're trying to prepare as much as best as they can and uh, and, and kind of go from there. Let's take a break to talk to local business owners listening to the show. Most of our listeners are in and around Boston, so what better way to promote your business than through the Old Town Podcast? During these tough times, The Athletic is looking to help local businesses by promoting your product and services through our podcast. 
Our listeners are loyal and engaged just like you. To advertise on this show or our other Boston shows, go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There you can fill out a simple form and we'll get back to you right away. Again, that's theathletic.com slash podcast ads. The Red Sox are a team that uh, it seems like, I mean, this is a different front office, um, so that could change, but but they've often gone college over high school a lot of times. Um, and if there was ever a year to do that, it feels like this is the one. Um, but w- that is the challenge, right, Chad? I mean, at least the college players, they're older, they're more advanced. You had a little bit of a season to check them out this year. High school players, in certainly in, in the northeast and northern areas of this country, didn't even start their seasons. And down south, really got a small amount. So not only are those players younger, 16, 17 years old, but they're well, probably 17, 18 years old, but they didn't even get a spring to, to develop. And that's when we see high school players at draft time. We use the word helium. You hear that all the time from uh, Keith Law and, and Jim Callis and those kind of guys that because you get these high school kids that just have a great run up to the draft. There's none of that. So do you think overall it's it, this is a really heavy college draft? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to lose high school players entirely, but I think it's going to be definitely heavy on the on the college side. Uh, for, for all the reasons you said, I mean, there's just there's more data to go on in those guys. I think a lot of high school kids, you know, the, again, like you said, the helium thing, they, they didn't have that opportunity to kind of make that last push here, you know, from – just in this year, you know, starting in sort of January, February, and then and running into the draft, they, they didn't have that chance to sort of pop onto the radar and really prove something. Um, and, and obviously you see that in college. I mean, with the Red Sox, Andrew Benatendi is a sort of a, a fairly famous example of that, where he went from kind of a decent prospect to, you know, a really high-end guy front of the draft and one who's really worked out. Um, so that happens with college ball, but I think that generally you would think that college players – um, tend to be maybe a little bit more reliable. And I do think we'll see a lot more college players picked. Um, but again, it, I mean, what's going to be sort of fascinating to see after this is after the draft, it's just going to be this bizarre free-for-all with the $20,000 and the undrafted free agents and which who's going to be willing to take that much money, who's not, who's going to go back to college. And for some of these guys, you think about a particularly like a college senior who maybe did just so they they got an extra year of eligibility, right? So they can go back. Well, now you're going to go back into the draft to now be another year older next year and to be now a part of what could be like the deepest, craziest draft class we've ever seen because you're going to have all the guys who didn't get drafted this year now available. I mean, that guy, even though he has a chance to go back to college, might have little choice but to just take the little $20,000 and, and take a shot on pro ball now if he's going to go for it. So it, it, people are not going to be – players are not going to be in a great position here um, to try to negotiate because their, their options are not great. I mean, you go back to college now where all these scholarship players are back, you know, all of these new incoming freshmen, a lot of whom would have been drafted and gone to pro ball instead are going to go to college. That's not going to be that appealing. So it's, it's a lot of guys who would have been making, you know, well into the six figures as a signing bonus – are instead going to have to kind of just settle for 20000 if they want to take a run at it right now. Yeah, and Major League Baseball knew that, and this is certainly a way that they're saving money, not just shortening the draft, but but the amount of money they're going to be paying for players is, is so much less. So then I guess there's a couple ways to look at that free-for-all, Jen. Um, for $20,000, you don't have to worry about outbidding other teams, so it really becomes... 
kind of like a popularity contest, but I'm not sure. Like on one hand, the Red Sox are a franchise that obviously is historic and has a reputation for winning and all of that stuff. On the other hand, maybe you can get quick to the majors quicker on a different team if they are kind of a lesser team or a lesser talented team. I'm not sure what the, the better position to be in is when money is the equal across the board. Yeah, I mean, and Taboni kind of talked about that too, of like, it'll just, you know, they're they're trying to predict what people, what, what players and, and you know, uh, teams are going to be doing with this. And it's, it might be a waste of time trying to predict all this, but... Uh, you know, do they do they cast their net to, you know, 50 or 75 guys and try to, you know, reel in as many of those guys as they can? Or do they just, you know, cut their losses and take the, the top guys that they think are the ones that they should focus on the most? Uh, you don't really know what obviously there's no minor league season or probably won't be a minor league season, um, you know, much of this the rest of this year. So the guys will be they'll be taking an influx of all these players that aren't going to be going anywhere, really. There's probably going to be some sort of, um, you know, uh, thing in, in like kind of intra-squad games at JetBlue Park for all these minor leaguers who don't have a season that aren't going to be, you know, on the on the Red Sox uh, expanded roster if there even is a major league season. So, I mean, yeah, there's kind of all those different variables of, you know, do you, do you just try to like load your system with a bunch of these guys because you can? Or do you, you know, try to be choosy, picky, picky about, you know, um, which guys you're signing uh, in in go about it that way so yeah uh it's it's definitely going to be strange uh and kind of interesting to see what kind of guys they do target uh once this once that period starts which is i think taboni said 60 hours after uh after the draft ends so that weekend and also how many how many minor league teams is everyone going to have in the near future like how much how much do you really need to stockpile depth i mean you you might not have room for all of that and if you don't then then what's the point of it you know um i just think the the, yeah there's there's a lot of uncertainty about this draft and sort of what it will mean you know in the next in the coming years because i think i think that landscape is going to change a lot and i mean they just they just cut the 22 guys so is that kind of what they're targeting in terms of you know four guys in the draft and another you know 18 or so to try to sign like is that is that something that's that's you know, a clue in, in a sense uh, yeah, of what I they're mean, trying maybe. to do. Um, so yeah, who, who, who knows really is the answer, but uh, yeah. That's interesting. And because the Yankees, right, the Yankees cut 45 players. So maybe that's a way of looking. Maybe the Yankees are planning on being a little busier in that free for all um, being well, the, the Yankees. Yankees maybe also have, they have more minor league affiliates, I think too. So they have more, you know, it's a bigger stockpile that you're trying to cut from. I, I would imagine every year the, the Yankees probably, you know, between the end of spring training and then kind of in the weeks leading up to the draft, I bet that they typically cut more people um, anyway, just because they have so many more of them floating through their system. But that, I mean, again, that's all part of it. It's that the reality of, of what this is and, and, you know, the number of players that are, that are in every minor league system, it's, it's a bizarre world. And I mean, it's a, it's a strange sort of um, part where it is, you know, there's obviously such a business side of it and, and there is a very uh, almost like economical upside to uh, if a prospect plans out, and and that's why it's worth stockpiling a lot of them. But there's there is still the uh, the the emotional attachment of players. So there's both the cynical side and the the really a, a real connection there too. I mean, I think Jen would agree that even though there is 
a lot of and we're talking about a lot of money issues here and does it make sense to have this many kids playing in minor league ball and how much money are you going to give them and all of that's on one side of it but also I think most player development guys you talk to coaches instructors coordinators whatever scouts they're re- I mean they really are invested in these guys trying to make them as good of a player as they possibly can be whether they make it I mean you hear guys talk about players that were drafted late in the rounds and, and they never make it to the big leagues but you know, if they make it to AAA, which was ahead of sort of what most people would have projected, I mean, these guys are thrilled with that. The the coaches and everything, like they work with them to try to maximize their talent, and so they're they're both sides of this that I think are really weird elements that don't always feel like they go together. The the sort of number side of it that's a little bit harsh, and then just that emotional passion for the game side of it that is just on the totally other end of the spectrum. And then there's the, yeah, and with that is the the viewpoint that just the greater overall good of the game going forward when you think about growing the game. And yes, you have all these minor league teams and most of these players never make it to double A, if not the majors. Um, but you have all these little minor league teams in all these little towns across America where people can't get to a major league game and they go to the minor league parks and they learn to love baseball. And yes, I'm being way too probably romantic about all of this, but I covered double A baseball um, for a while. Chet, you covered um, minor league baseball as well. I mean, where, where I covered it, the stadium was packed every day and they were pilly. We were, it wasn't that far from Philadelphia and People didn't necessarily get to the Phillies games, but they could go to the Reading Phillies games and they could see these players on the way up. And it, it just helped grow. Those were baseball fans that may not have been baseball fans if that minor league team wasn't there. So I think that's part of it. And then I heard another argument on behalf of it this week that was think about all these players that don't make it to the big leagues that go and become coaches and become you know different staff members, become high school coaches, put on camps. And it, it all helps the game. But then the other, the cynical side would be the game would still exist without all of that. Right. And also, I think it's sort of a fair question, though, to say, is is growing the game of baseball exclusively the uh, responsibility of Major League Baseball? And and I don't know the answer. I mean, obviously, I think it is they're, they're going to be the main drivers of this. But, you know, is there a world that we can get into where independent leagues are more popular than they are today where if if there's a lot of leftover talent that ends up there maybe we start seeing we already see a handful of guys every year go from indie ball and make it to the big leagues um you know do we does this transform into where you know minor league systems are smaller but suddenly indie ball is a much bigger deal and is a real viable way for guys to go and try to play and they get seen and then they're you know, at whatever age they get signed and, you know, fill a hole in an organization and move up. I, I, I just am curious to see where all of this comes out because we're not going to right away lose a massive number of kids who want to play baseball. The fear would be down the line we do, but right away you're still going to have a lot of guys, kids who want to play and are, and are still going to be trying to, to make it somewhere and kind of where does that all end up? You know, does it is it just that it's not all centralized now in Major League Baseball and its minor league affiliates, but instead is Major League Baseball and its affiliates kind of at the top and other teams spread around that are that are still become more viable and more popular because there is more talent available and more pathways for those players who end up in those leagues. Yeah, and one thing that baseball doesn't have is uh, that football and basketball have is is college. Right? I mean, right. there is college baseball, and sure, there's a handful of teams that get great crowds. You know, your LSU's, and, but yeah, but it's but, totally different. Yeah, just I mean, it's it's just completely, completely different. 
Well, it's certainly something that we're not going to know the answers to for some time, but this draft is is going to be really interesting. And we'll, once it's over with, once the Red Sox have kind of uh, have picked these players, we'll certainly talk about it on the podcast as well. But um, I think that that brings us to the end of this one. Um, we are looking forward to next week. Um, a special guest coming on the podcast, Michael Shore, is going to join us. Um, producer on the Office, he created Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine Nine, The Good Place, all fantastic shows, smart comedies, and he is a lifelong diehard Red Sox fan. So he's been uh, gracious enough to come on the show. So we're looking forward to that. Um, I think we're a lot more excited about it than he is, guys. Would you agree with that? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually just. I was telling a friend of mine, I don't know, like, I'm I'm just worried about hitting him with way too many, like, quotes and references. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, I don't, don't want to drive him too crazy. Yeah, but we'll 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 talk to him about the Red Sox, too, because I know that that's what he's going to want to talk about. As much as we want to talk about his shows, he'll want to talk about the Red Sox. So we'll find that balance. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash greenmonster. Um, we have a comment section now, too. If you're listening to the podcast on the app, uh, check out the comment section. Let us know what you think of the podcast so we'll be back next week michael shore will join us for that one uh thanks to the beantown swing orchestra for the theme music Uh, we'll talk to you again next time